Hello and welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the online bookmaker that offers you the best odds, the highest limits and a unique winner's welcome policy. The NFL postseason is now in full swing, so to help you with all those divisional round dilemmas, we've got a very special guest today. It's a man who's been taking and placing bets for almost two decades. It's Adam Chernoff. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Happy to be here. Two decades, a little a little high in the estimate, but we'll go for, for just over a decade. <laughs> we'll save plenty of experience then. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> um, so yeah, th- thanks very much for coming on. I mean, uh, we've been following you on social media. I'm sure everyone can see. It seems like it's been a, a busy time for you of late. So how's your how's last year and the, the first week of 2019 for you? Uh, this year was really good in terms of NFL betting. That's been my focus for, as you said, the last decade and a little bit sort of where I put all of my uh, effort and most of it anyway. So this season was was really well, uh, profitable, uh, pretty steady throughout the whole way as well. This past week was uh, certainly interesting with some pretty crazy finishes down the stretch in the wild card games. Um, but it was all around a good uh, learning week to take into the divisional weekend coming up. Yeah, I mean, we're really right at the the business end now into to postseason football. So if we just kind of, before we get into the individual games, can we just talk a little bit about sort of the concept of postseason football and what maybe makes it different to, to the regular season stuff? Sure. So obviously one one win and you're in, one win and, or one loss and you're out. So there's uh, no real motivational factors that play into this a lot of people who bet during the regular season are always trying to gauge the motivation of teams week by week Uh, there's a lot of situational handicapping that goes on in terms of where teams travel to and from uh, in addition to a lot of injuries that can play in week to week Uh, there's a lot of sort of narrative hunting that goes on during the regular season that really influences how people think about betting markets in the nfl but also act on them and in the playoffs uh the narratives are either magnified enough that they're going to be priced into the market, uh, but as well as the situational, the motivational stuff, that really uh, doesn't apply nearly as much because uh, it's just negated by just the situation of the playoffs and, and the one-and-done format. So it's really a change of mindset where betters have to really look into what happens on the field. Not that they shouldn't be doing that throughout the regular season, uh, but with so much of that other stuff already priced into the market or uh, not really being applicable, it really comes down to fundamental and basic handicapping on the field more so than letting all of uh, the other stuff dictate the the action on the wager. And if we're kind of looking at numbers and looking at data is, I mean, obviously the, the regular season provides us with a, a decent enough sample size, but do you start to look at, say, postseason data for particular teams, or is it because it's 12 months at a time, it kind of it becomes a bit outdated? No, there's certainly a, a history that players will have going into the postseason, coaches as well. The game planning, as well as the game calling, tends to tighten up considerably, especially in the second half. Uh, we've already seen examples of it uh, the past couple of games this weekend where play calling gets extremely conservative when you get into the second half. So you sort of have to factor that in by how coaches coach throughout the regular season and see some tendencies in their play calling and carry that through. Um, and then there's also the numbers from the season leading up to the postseason. You have to be careful with how much of that you're taking into account for the postseason uh, injuries when teams are going through highs and lows. 
uh, you really have to sort of be careful which data you're applying to the postseason and be sure to parse out the data which may not apply or was just uh, exceptional circumstances in the play up or play down games during the regular season. And is there is there potential for people to perhaps become postseason specialists in terms of betting or is it pretty much the same across the board? Uh, I think there's potential for it to go the opposite way where they carry in the regular season fundamentals and try apply it to the postseason and then get surprised from it. And that's really more from a market standpoint than anything else. Uh, I'm not sure you can go the other way where you're extremely successful only in the postseason and not in the regular season. One sort of uh, sets you up to, to go with the other. You just have to make the right adjustments at the right times. But you can certainly get burned by not making those adjustments. And I mean, a, a lot of the focus now is this is rightly the case, is going to be on the postseason and, and, and what's to come. But if we just kind of take a step back and perhaps look back at, at what we've seen in the regular season, what what stood out for you so far? Uh, there weren't really too many surprises. Uh, I think the big surprise was really for me how uh, the good teams finished and how the poor teams finished as well, especially in the last four or five seasons or four or five weeks of the season, uh, there was really, it, the market for the postseason was extremely top-heavy at open. Uh, the four bi-week teams were taking up about 80% of the market margin, uh, which is about 13% higher than years past. So it was a really top-heavy market, but a lot of those teams finished on losing runs against the spread or, or just losing runs straight up. Uh, they really sort of put it into cruise control the last three or four weeks. And the market really overreacted for those teams towards the end of the season. And then the teams that were in the bottom of the postseason market really played up in the last four or five weeks of the regular season. So we get a really interesting contrast in perception where the top heavy teams in the market that are usually drawing a lot of the attention are actually being somewhat uh, suggested as overpriced by a majority of the betters where the teams uh, that didn't perform as well during the regular season that are towards the bottom of the market are really being sought after. And we're really seeing that play into the markets this weekend, uh, but also in the outright markets that are remaining for the season. So is there kind of any, any particular players or any teams that have really stood out for you potentially because they've outperformed expectations throughout the regular season? Uh, Kansas City was certainly one that outperformed expectations for me. Uh, they led the league in net yards per play, which is an extremely powerful metric. Uh, and they're offensively, uh, they did extremely well as well. They gained 131% of their opponent's average allowance per pass, uh, which as far as I've been tracking these effort metrics is the highest of any team during the regular season in terms of offensive output. Um, and then also on the other side of the ball, it really surprised me that they were able to sustain that offense and that success throughout the regular season with such a poor defense, uh, as good as their past defense was in terms of uh, their defense allowing teams to rush the ball, they gave up a historically high number in that regard as well. Uh, so very, very two-sided team there. Um, Chicago certainly surprised in, in terms of their preseason expectations. Uh, felt that they were really overpriced towards the end of the season, and they ended up losing to the Eagles yesterday. Uh, recording this on the Monday, so the Sunday of the wild card round. But that was really the one surprise team for me that that overperformed expectations. And then the Chiefs were the one uh, that really stood out to me in, in terms of playing up. So you mentioned there the, the Eagles overcoming Chicago, and I mean that that probably brings us on nicely to the the first of the divisional round matchups. You've got the. The Saints, they're currently an eight-point favourite against the Eagles, and the total's set at 51 points. Uh, 
what you kind of thinking for this game? So this was an extremely interesting market, and I was happily sitting with two or three windows open on the Pinnacle Markets looking to get the right price on this one. Uh, there was some early movement where it was at sitting at 10. I know a lot of people were really looking for teaser angles in this one, including myself. Uh, so a lot of books were holding that price up. It sat at 10 at Pinnacle for quite some time uh, before coming down to 8. But this is just an example of how the perception really plays into how these teams are. Saints, top of the market in terms of uh, outright prices, uh, shortest price on the board. But you look at them coming into the end of the season, uh, they really struggled in terms of expectation versus the point spread. They lost three games in a row, and then they sat on the bye week. And you get a lot of uh, recency bias with the NFL. And certainly in the playoffs, that applies more so than in the regular season. Because in the regular season, there's a precedent of what the market price should be. There's look-ahead prices that are set way back in the summer for all the games during the regular season. And then there's look-ahead prices that are set 12 to 14 days before that betters can get down on. And then that sort of adjusts to the reopen a week before. With playoff games, it's as soon as the matchup is set, the price comes out on the board. So we're looking at the shortest lifespan in terms of markets that players play into all season but also the highest betting handle and turnover within the market. So the Saints carry sort of a negative perception, despite being one of the best teams with three failed covers. They've been letting betters down during the end of the season. And then they had the bye week where no one was really thinking about them last weekend. Eagles, on the other hand, stormed to the finish, covering their last few games as well as winning outright against the Rams in prime time. And then they beat the, the favorite Chicago Bears in national TV audience on Sunday as well. So they have a huge positive expectation besides the numbers not necessarily being there. Um, the Eagles finish bottom third in the league in terms of offensive and defensive efficiency. And their secondary, which is a massive liability, has really been hidden uh, by some weak competition down the stretch. They've either played teams that have put forth a really poor game plan and tried to attack them on the ground, or they've taken advantage of teams that rank low in passing efficiency on offense, and, and they really disguise their, their weakness in the secondary from that. So I don't think the market is correctly pricing just how big of a matchup this is against New Orleans into this price uh, pretty well everywhere uh, that it matches up across the board. This is just a terrible situation for Philadelphia to be in. Uh, earlier in the season, Philadelphia went to New Orleans, and the special thing about going to New Orleans is it plays on an extremely fast playing surface, so the speed of the game is accelerated, which is unique to the dome surrounding that New Orleans play in. They also have an extremely good home field advantage in terms of crowd noise and atmosphere, which is very difficult for teams to adjust to. Philadelphia went in the middle of the season. They had Carson Wentz at quarterback instead of Nick Foles, who they switched to late in the season. They got the doors blown off them. 48-7 to was one of the most lopsided games of the NFL regular season just because of how poorly Philadelphia matches up against New Orleans. Uh, one of the big weaknesses for the Eagles' defense is stopping passes to running backs. This season, Philadelphia uh, gives up the third most yards per game to running backs. That's where New Orleans excels. And then deep in the secondary, their safeties and corners, extremely poor, and they're also extremely aggressive. So they make very bad decisions. New Orleans can exploit that with the top passing uh, success rate offense at home, where they're significantly above average, uh, far and away the number one team in the league. Uh, offensively, it's a complete mismatch. Uh, and then defensively, New Orleans very good at the line of scrimmage. 
match up really well against Philadelphia. They're going to be able to get some pressure on Nick Foles. They're also very good at defending tight ends, one of the best tight end defensive teams in the league, which is where Philadelphia succeeds on offense, where Nick Foles is most comfortable throwing the football. Uh, so this spread with the perception that's played into this one has driven it down to a point where you have to look to New Orleans, especially in the teaser likes, being able to tease them through uh, seven and three, which are the two most common outcomes in an NFL game, uh, taking them down to that level, as well as against the spread with this one at minus eight, uh, certainly some value across the board with New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, this one kind of seems all about the Saints and, and perhaps rightly so. I mean, the Eagles are the, the biggest outsider of anyone on the board for this weekend. But it's, I guess, that thing following them through and what a lot of people will be talking about is is Nick Foles. And is there, what is it you think he does that seems to drag the Eagles through? So the Eagles are a completely different team with him at quarterback compared to Carson Wentz. Uh, I think there's sort of a responsibility from head coach Doug Peterson that he has to sort of adhere to this style with Carson Wentz in at quarterback. Uh, and Wentz played for a good chunk of the season, but he was nowhere near 100% coming off a really bad knee injury from a year before. So his running ability, which plays into that option style of offense, uh, was really negated because he was far less than 100% at health. But there was just a stubbornness in how they were game planning. And Carson Wentz really loves to go to Zach Ertz, uh, one specific tight end. And that sort of caused issues within the locker room as well. Uh, there were some wide receivers who felt that they were getting left out. Nick Foles comes in. He's a completely different quarterback. Uh, he took Philadelphia from a team that was bottom third in the league in terms of passing efficiency. And he brought them into uh, the top ten in his four starts towards the end of the season, including the playoffs. Uh, he spreads the ball out a lot more. He's a lot more confident in getting everyone else in the on the team involved. And he just has a, a different sort of uh, motivational element with him that the, the players just believe in them because they believe they're going to be included in the game plan and it's not all about Wentz. Um, and Wentz is certainly the better long-term quarterback, but this team just has a spark when they're playing with Foles. He did it last year, led them to the Super Bowl, got the MVP, and I think a lot of the market's really expecting him to do the same, especially after the Bears game yesterday, which seemed like it was uh, just unwinnable for them at the start of the game uh, in terms of the market pricing. Not a lot of faith in them to do so, certainly faith in the spread, but once the, that was sort of the big uh, tipping point, and a lot of people are just carrying that over into New Orleans. I just don't think that's the case. Okay, so next up we've got the the Rams hosting the Cowboys, and again, I mean it's it's quite a big spread to cover with the the handicap sitting at, at seven points and the the totals at forty nine. What do you see going for this one? So, this is sort of the more the most difficult game for me to handicap. Uh, I don't have a ton to really put forth on this one, aside from the fact that. I think the Rams are a must-look in teaser legs as well. The same sort of perception applies. The Rams started off the season as hot as any team in the NFL. They quickly became the most overpriced team in the NFL uh, with Jared Goff and McVay at head coach, one of the best coaching quarterback duos in the league. But it all once you exceed a certain price point within the market, it just becomes unattainable uh, for many betters to back week to week. And that was sort of the case where they started off really hot and then they let betters down for a good stretch of eight or nine weeks in the middle of the season. They lost Cooper Cup, who was vital to this offense. Uh, he gave it a different dynamic. He was the go-to receiver for Goff, especially down the field. 
and this offense really sputtered out uh, in the middle of the season. Uh, closing late, they lost two really important games on prime time in the last four weeks of the season. One against Chicago, where they were embarrassed, putting up just six points. And then another against Philadelphia, where I think betters will look into that one as another embarrassing loss. But Philadelphia put together an extremely aggressive game plan on defense that I don't think anybody saw coming. And it really caught L.A. off guard. So I don't put a ton of stock into that one. So while uh, the perception on L.A. is down, much like it is New Orleans in terms of uh, the compounding value that they've provided against the spread, uh, I think that they're being undervalued as well this week as a favorite. Um, underdogs in the NFL, they've covered 14 of the last 15 playoff games. So there's sort of a push to back the dog from a lot of betters. Uh, and it's opening up uh, some potential to look towards the favorites this weekend. Dallas, uh, they got the big win against Seattle, but they were really fortunate that the game plan that Seattle put together was as poor of a game plan as any team could put together against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Seattle got whatever they wanted through the air, but they just refused to throw the ball with any consistency. The one weakness that Dallas has that not enough teams exploit is certainly their secondary they're 31st in the NFL of 32 teams when it comes to passing efficiency defense. Uh, so that's certainly very poor. They also give up a ton of explosive plays, which are plays of 15 yards or more. So teams can gain yards on uh, Dallas really easily in chunks, and they do it very quickly as well. Dallas, one of the slower-paced teams in the NFL, they love to run the football. Uh, they love to establish that ground game, and they haven't really gone deep uh, to their receivers. They signed Amari Cooper late in the season. He's been a big boost, uh, but they're not doing it with nearly enough frequency. There's some familiarity in the secondary of L.A. Um, at defending Cooper, uh, one of their best cornerbacks for the Rams, played in the AFC West with him. Uh, so there's some knowledge on him there that I think is going to apply. Uh, but just in terms of the home and away splits, this one uh, really paints a different picture for L.A. They're an extremely different team playing at home than they are playing on the road. They jump from an average team away from home in terms of passing efficiency to second best in the league. Their yards per attempt goes up from 7.5 to 8.9. So again, that's league average to second best in the NFL. And then their touchdowns, 22 at home compared to just 10 on the road. And then Jared Goff, nine interceptions on the road versus four at home. So they're much more comfortable playing at home. Uh, Dallas has to go to... Uh, LA to play this one. There's some rain in the forecast on Friday. Uh, that's probably going to make one of the worst playing fields uh, in terms of grass condition in the league. Uh, extremely soggy, extremely soft to play on. So that's going to be different for Dallas to adjust to. LA has some familiarity with that, with it being uh, their field at home. Uh, I think that LA can really exploit the Dallas secondary. They've had a week to game plan. You get one of the best coaches in the league in McVay going up against one of the worst coaches and Jason Garrett from the Dallas Cowboys. So a huge coaching mismatch here. Uh, and the mismatch is the LA offense, which is where McVay excels versus the Dallas secondary. Uh, so it really sets up well for him to put together a game plan that makes Goff comfortable. They also signed CJ Anderson, which takes some of the burden off Todd Gurley, who's not quite hundred uh, percent, still extremely dynamic out of the backfield, but that balanced running attack, but we'll take some pressure off of them as well, alleviate some of the issues that Goff has had down the stretch. I'm not big on Goff in the playoffs. He got his one sort of bad first experience out of the way last season. Uh, this is his chance to step up. I, I think the Rams are definitely the side to look here, especially in teasers to pair together with the Saints.
And next up, we've got the one of the surprises from the wild card weekend was the the Colts, and they travelled to the Chiefs. Currently, a, a six point handicap, and it's actually the the biggest total of all the games this weekend at fifty seven. So, is that one? Do you see points on the board for that one? I I think points certainly have to come. This is the biggest the biggest combined. Uh, regular season touchdown total for two quarterbacks playing in a playoff game in NFL history. Uh, so certainly when you see an NFL playoff total of 57, your initial reactions look to the under, but I certainly think that this high total is warranted. It opened 56 and a half. It's only been bet up since currently sitting 57 may even see a 58, which off the top of my head would be by far the biggest total uh, in a playoff game. I'd have to dig back a little deeper to confirm that. But certainly if there's any game higher, uh, it's not very much. Again, this is another situation where Kansas City down the stretch, they didn't cover. They, if you count the uh, game against the Rams as a three-point favorite, that one sort of flip-flop between two and a half and three. But if you put it at three, this is a team that failed to cover six of their last seven games down the stretch after starting off the season with uh, covers. Uh, for the first seven weeks of the season. So they gained a lot of that market perception, and then they disappointed betters continuously once they've reached that price point. Now they're sort of at the bottom coming into this game. There's a lot of doubt about Mahomes making his first playoff start. There's the narrative that plays into this one, which I don't necessarily agree with, of first-time quarterbacks in the playoffs. One win in their last 13 appearances. Uh, that dates back a number of years here in the playoffs since they changed the format. But on the sideline, you have Andy Reid, extremely experienced head coach. He's extremely good with extra prep time, always puts together a good game plan. One of the best head coaches of all time coming out of the bye week in the regular season. But just from a basic handicapping perspective in terms of what happens on the field, Indianapolis, they play an extremely high rate of zone defense, uh, and that zone defense is extremely soft. And when a team plays zone defense, uh, what you want to have as an offense is a very fast wide receiver that can stretch the zone defense vertically down the field and then a really athletic tight end who can find soft spots in those zones and become the go-to guy on late downs. Kansas City has by far the fastest receiver in Tyreek Hill. They also have the most athletic tight end in the NFL in Travis Kelsey. So both of those players uh, against zone defense this year uh, Kelsey's averaged 11.65 yards per catch, and Tyreek Hill's averaged 17.5. Both of those are extremely high numbers. Kansas City scored a lot of points in all their games, uh, but they've had special success uh, against these zone defenses uh, where they've averaged uh, just over 30 points per game. Uh, the Colts defense, it's getting grossly over-respected. Uh, again, it just comes down to scheduling. Uh, they haven't played any teams that can really attack them deep. Uh, and that sort of disguised their secondary, much like a Philadelphia team I talked about earlier. Uh, they ranked 17th against running backs, catching the ball out of the backfield, and against the elite receivers, number one, uh, they ranked 25th. So certainly a step down. They're also extremely poor at covering tight ends overall. They're third last in the league at that. So off, from an offense versus defense standpoint, this matches up very well for Kansas City. Uh, from sort of a predictive metric standpoint, uh, anticipating the Kansas City uh, just from multiplying their average gain per play against their weighted schedule of opponents. And then Indianapolis going the other way, their defense uh, in the secondary against their weighted schedule of opponents. Kansas City projected to gain over nine and a half yards per play when throwing the football. That's good enough to win almost any game and certainly cover 
a spread that's less than a touchdown. Um, looking at the defense as well, I think there's a matchup for Kansas City. They get sort of stomped on as one of the one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL, and it's certainly true. And that's where the Colts can have success. Uh, they have a very good rushing attack, but if the game state forces Indianapolis to play catch up. They're not going to be able to run the ball with consistency like they'd like to, whereas if they were leading. And I don't believe that Kansas City is going to get down and behind in this game. I think Kansas City is going to be leading from front, which is going to force the Colts to become one-dimensional and pass the football. Normally, that's not a bad thing when you have Andrew Luck behind this offensive line, but the perception of this has sort of painted them into being this great run-stop or pass-blocking unit, which they are, but their competition, they haven't played a team that has a combined top 10 in both pass rushing grade and adjusted sack rate uh, in a very long time. They played Jacksonville, who's fifth and 15th in that regard. Uh, but other than that, all the teams they've played have been at least 15th or worse in both categories, which puts them well below average and in the bottom chunk of the league. Kansas City, on the other hand, they're first in pass rushing grade and they're seventh in adjusted sack rate. And I don't think enough people in the market give them respect for that because it's constantly a shootout uh, and they're constantly the narrative on TV is about how their running defense is so poor. But Kansas City has some elite pass rushers and it's going to be a big challenge for Indianapolis if they come one dimensional to stop these pass rushers from slowing down the offense. And it's not about stopping Indianapolis and holding them to a season low in points. Kansas City is going to be able to score at will this game. It's just about limiting the Colts enough uh, that they get one or two possessions behind, and then they're forced into mistakes, and that's where this cover is going to come from. But certainly, look Kansas City here against the spread. Um, and then finally, we've got the the postseason mainstays, the New England Patriots against the Chargers. Uh, the Patriots are a four point five favorite, and this one's actually the lowest total on the board at forty seven. So, what are your thoughts on this one? So it's almost the same story all over again. You get the L.A. Chargers, who finished the season number one in net yards per play. Uh, they were very hot down the stretch, winning the games they needed to, uh, doing a lot of them in prime time, garnering a lot of attention in the market and throughout the bets as well. And then you get New England, on the other hand, who sort of peaked middle of the season in terms of their price point, and then they tanked down the end of the stretch. They failed to cover in three of their last four. They had really bad losses against Pittsburgh. They had the unfortunate loss against Miami, a game that the Dolphins were in the entire game. Uh, and there's just a lot of doubt that's growing about New England. They played a very soft schedule, and I don't think a lot of people believe their numbers. When I look at it overall, though, uh, New England, I don't think is nearly as bad as people that are making them out to be. They finished the season overall uh, top 10 in passing success rate defense. Uh, their weakness was against the rush, but in, in a second I'll get to that. I think it matches up well against the Chargers. But this game really comes down to the coaching mismatch. You have Anthony Lynn, who's not only one of the most conservative, uh, but one of the most inexperienced coaches coming into the postseason in terms of teams that made it. Then on the other side, you have Bill Belichick, the most experienced coach in the postseason, also uh, the most successful. So it's a huge coaching mismatch. There's also a bit of a travel element. And I said earlier in the show, I don't really equate that into uh, this game. But the Chargers are doing... A pretty unique travel schedule in the fact that they've traveled cross-country uh, going west to east three consecutive weeks in a row. For some reason, they decided after their win against Baltimore that they were going to fly back all the way to Los Angeles. 
Uh, now they have to fly all the way back across the country to New England, playing in an extremely difficult environment. The weather's calling for the potential of snow. There's going to be cold temperatures, so that certainly plays into this with L.A. being a warm-weather team. Uh, but just uh, from the on-field dynamic, uh, New England's going to be able to get whatever they want here on offense. Uh, the Chargers' metrics, they certainly grade out quite well defensively, uh, but their one weakness has been against defending the running back pass. Uh, they gave up a league-worst 973 receiving yards to running backs during the regular season. This bodes extremely well for White and Burkhead out of the backfield for New England. That also gives the Patriots uh, offense a level of comfort uh, and a level of sort of misdirection and uncertainty that they can apply uh, to give them sort of what they want downfield and get those looks, open up the defense, uh, move the ball pretty comfortably. Uh, not sure that uh, Melvin Gordon, who's the key running back for Los Angeles, is anywhere close to 100% healthy coming into this game. He dealt with two injuries on his right leg throughout the regular season. And the game against Baltimore, he banged up his other leg. So he's dealing with multiple sprains on both legs. Uh, that's certainly a, a bad thing when the one place that you can really attack this New England uh, defense is rushing the football. Uh, LA is probably going to have to rely on Eckler, their backup running back, to do a lot of the work for Gordon. Um, offensively as well, uh, LA is going to have some success uh, moving their receivers around, uh, finding some success out of the slot as well. The Patriots have one all-pro cornerback, Stephen Gilmore, uh, who's really good, but he doesn't cover the slot really well. He's really tall, uh, defends the sidelines. So if L.A. is going to have success, it's certainly going to come from the slot. Uh, so New England's going to really have to adjust and decide what they take away. Uh, something that they're always extremely good at in terms of game planning in the postseason is taking away the team's one strength and making them adjust to do something else, whether they choose that to be the running game or sort of key in on a couple of receivers. I think that New England probably does enough uh, to keep this game extremely competitive. And then it comes down to arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. And it hurts me to say that being a Jets fan, uh, but Tom Brady in the postseason, extremely experienced, uh, does not make mistakes. Uh, he's going to be key in this game, extremely uh, good at home this season in comparison to what he's done on the road. It's another one of those home road splits. New England, arguably the largest home field advantage in the NFL when it comes to the playoff games. Uh, so with just how the market's shaping up with how the perceptions tying into this, pulling the market down in favor of Los Angeles, I think we've got a point where uh, you sort of have to look at New England or nothing. This is sort of a tough price to play. If there's one thing, or sort of a historical metric that applies to Los Angeles here. It is that the top three teams that uh, in the regular season, whoever finishes top three in net yards per play, 50% of the Super Bowl teams since 2018 have come from those top three. Uh, the two teams that made it this year, the LA Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, so that's sort of a, a good measure of how well-rounded a team is. And typically those well-rounded teams do extremely well in the postseason. L.A., uh, according to the metric, as well-rounded of a team as there is in the NFL. Uh, so there's certainly something to say there. There's also something to say with the veteran quarterback, Phillip Rivers. Although he struggled lifetime against Tom Brady, just one in seven in those games, uh, he's going to have to put forth an all-time performance in order to come out with the win here on Sunday. Uh, I would be looking New England or nothing. Uh, but again, it's just one of those games where the perception matches up uh, in such a way that you have to look probably the way you're not suspecting to uh, just because the market's presenting it at such a number.
Well, that's some great in-depth kind of analysis of each of the, the divisional round games. And I mean, obviously, if any of these teams are going to make it all the way to the Super Bowl, that's just one of the hurdles they've got to pass until they get there. So if we now look at individual teams and we're talking about outright markets here, so Super Bowl contenders to go all the way, uh, we've got the first seed in the NFC is the the Saints, obviously, and they're, they're actually the favourites, the outright favourites in the market, 3.35. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's going to sound like I'm just this huge chalk player that loves looking towards the favourites, but you got me on a week where... Uh, and my betting style is, is very much about taking what the market presents, what the market offers. And this week, uh, with just everything that's built up the last six or seven weeks of the regular season heading into this, uh, the past postseason, this is really the first week in a very long time in the playoffs where there's opportunity to back favorites who the market already dictated were significantly better uh, than the other teams. So. I mean, the market was saying one thing, and the perception's really going against it. So that's why I'm sort of advocating for these favorites. And the Saints in the outright market would certainly have to be another team that I advocate for as well. Um, looking at either Dallas or the Rams, either of those teams going to New Orleans in uh, the conference final, uh, that's going to be a massive mismatch. Both of those teams can get burned in the secondary. Uh, the Rams already went to New Orleans earlier in the year. They got torched. I think a lot of people will talk about how Dallas was able to beat New Orleans, but that game was sort of an exceptional circumstance. It was by far the biggest play-up spot of the Cowboys' season. It was on a Thursday night. There was uh, sort of the presidents made that this was the take-a-stand game, the all-in effort, and they certainly got it. But it all goes back to those home-road splits. New Orleans at home is as good of a football team as we've seen in a very long time, at least as long as I've been alive. Uh, you get them on the road, and they're exceptionally average. So with them holding home field advantage all the way through to the Super Bowl, I think it's very hard to look at anyone but New Orleans advancing all the way to the final in February. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, further down the list, you've got like the Chiefs at, at 5.1. The Rams, as you said, if they come up against Saints, they're, they're 5.5. I mean, the Patriots, which is a bit surprising for them potentially, but it's it's 6.55. So there's you're, you're saying... New Orleans is, is getting the focus right now in the outright market. Yeah, New Orleans will certainly get there from the NFC, I think. Uh, I guess looking at the other side of the draw from the AFC, I would go as far to say whoever comes out of the LA-New England game will be set up to match New, Eng or match New Orleans in the Super Bowl. Uh, I really don't put much stock into Indianapolis or Kansas City past this week. Uh, certainly much higher on Kansas City than Indianapolis this week. Uh, but I don't like the way either of those two teams match up against the Chargers or New England uh, in the final. What's interesting is we could see potentially uh, if the Chargers beat New England uh, and the Colts beat Kansas City, that would give L.A. a home playoff game in the conference final as a number five seed. Uh, so that would be an exceptionally unique circumstance. So that would play pretty well into L.A., uh, despite people really pointing to them having the road advantage. But I'm not sure L.A. gets through New England this week. Um, if Kansas City holds up, the one team I like to go into Kansas City and get the win in the FC against them is the New England Patriots. When they played earlier in the season, uh, Belichick and Brady were absolutely toying with that defense. They went down a score with about a minute and a half to play. Could have been a little longer than that uh, off the top of my head, but late in the fourth quarter, they needed a drive to score points, and there was zero urgency. They knew that they could get whatever they wanted against this Kansas City defense, and I certainly think 
uh, if it matches up that way next week, that they're going to get exactly what they want again. Uh, so it's just a terrible matchup for Kansas City against New England. But I will say uh, whoever wins the Chargers-New England game will advance to the Super Bowl to play New Orleans. Big call. Cool. Um, I think it'd be interesting now to just kind of run through the, the pinnacle bet share for the, the outright market. And now obviously the, the distinction to make here is that this is percentage of the bet count taken. So we're not talking about bet volume here, which might kind of feed into the, you've discussed like narrative and things like that. Um, we've got the, the Rams are currently leading the bet share at 25%. You've got the Patriots at 18% and the Saints then come in at 17%. So is there any, what are your thoughts on that? Now that goes back to the beginning of the market open, uh, accounting for the whole lifespan, or is that just since the end of the regular season? So that's since, yeah, that's since the wild card weekend uh, just finished. So it's reopened the market, and they're the numbers from there. So that's, I mean, certainly, I think in terms of the value, that's certainly where I would be looking, uh, just because I think that some of these favorites are underpriced. Uh, they're not getting nearly the respect that they deserve. So I, I would agree with that. I'm a little surprised to hear that the Rams are the highest. Of course, now, uh, the money would dictate potentially a different story. But in terms of just overall uh, a bet count, it, it's interesting to hear that the Rams are the highest. I'm not sure I would have suspected them to be number one. Um, but that's certainly interesting to me. Well, I mean, the the games that we've been discussing and everything's now fast approaching, so I think we should we should give our listeners the chance to to digest the information you've provided and and let them go and find the value for themselves. I just want to say um, we really appreciate appreciate you coming on. Um, so it's just another big thank you for joining us. No, thank you very much for having me on. Loving what you're doing with the podcast and the articles that are being posted on the website. Great, as always, from all the writers, all the contributors. So happy to join in and provide insight that I can and look forward to listening to all your episodes coming up and then continue to contribute with articles myself and read all of uh, the other contributors as well. So great stuff you guys are doing. Loving it very much. Well, thank you for the very kind words, Adam, and, and thank you as well to everyone who's taken the time to listen to today's podcast. Best of luck for the remainder of the NFL season, and bye for now. <laughs>